0: Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where good taste and bad taste collide. There you go. My name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic. I review movies. I review quite a lot of movies, in fact. Good golly, I watch a lot of movies. Ah, oh, What am I doing with my life? I'm spending it with
1: my scintillating co-host. Why don't you introduce yourself, William? Uh, I'm too busy looking up the word scintillating. You've been calling Mm. me that for about 10 years, Mm. and I keep forgetting to look that up. (laughs) I assume it's bad. My name is William Bibiani. I'm Mm. a critic. Everybody calls me bibs. I also review movies. I also question my life choices. (laughs) Uh, And this particular week, I'm deeply ashamed. How dare you? How dare you, sir? Wait, what are you ashamed of? Well, I'm ashamed because this week we're reviewing a ton of new movies, and... Before I get to my point, let's run down the list. Reviewing the new releases, Flora and Ulysses, The Map of per- Tiny Perfect Things, The Mauritanian, That's Barb right. and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, After Midnight, Judas and the Black Messiah, and Blythe Spirit, and on the critically acclaimed streaming club where we watch older movies that are available on various streaming services that one or both of us have never seen before. We're reviewing the Oscar winner for Best International Film in 1990, Cinema Paradiso. And I've only seen two of those. <laughs> oh, tsk, tsk. We missed last week for this particular podcast, This and the reason why was because over the weekend our cat Luca had to go to the vet rather suddenly and we were very worried about him for a minute. He's fine. Yeah, he's he's, he's fine. He had ma- a stomach thing, he's okay. He's he's already making trouble. Again, he's he's so completely don't worry back about to normal. Luca. He's totally fine. But for a minute we were worried and I just didn't have it in me to watch a bunch of new releases over the weekend. I was just worried about my cat. So he's totally fine, I swear to God, totally fine. But we were worried, so last week it got put off, and then I ran into a bunch of other personal snags and other things this week. They just kept me from seeing any of the new releases except for one, and I feel like I may have chosen poorly. Uh, you sure did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Should we just dive right in? Do you want to start with that one, or do let's you want start, to start with, with that with last one week's that's, releases. Let's okay. start.
1: Let's start with the one that we've both seen, and then we'll just jump around like a jackrabbit. Jump around like House of Pain. Let's jump around like a superhero squirrel. Let's talk about the new Disney Plus release. Flora and Ulysses. It's not very good. No. I I don't oh, hate it. No, I feel like you I, hate this. I didn't hate it, but I didn't like this um, very much.
0: I hate this movie. Ah. I hate it a lot. Okay. This this is like uh this was released on Disney Plus. And you can tell that they're kind of testing out like all of the IP they own, yeah, to illustrate the way the world looks now. And the way the world looks is all Disney-owned
1: stuff. This was the part that offended me about this movie. Um, when there, this is a movie about a young girl. Parents are getting a divorce, or maybe getting mm, a divorce. Her, her mom is played by Allison Hannigan. Yeah, and her dad is played by I don't know, by by an actor. Yeah, and she's played by an actor of some kind. His name is Ben Schwartz. And ben I, I'm, Schwartz. I'm not
0: too familiar with uh, Ben Schwartz' work. Yep, uh, but I know he's done a lot of uh, voice work and
1: and TV work. He's fine. Uh, her parents are on the outs. Hmm. She is uh, getting a little jaded. She's uh, starting to worry if there's really is magic left in the world. Her father wanted to be a comic book creator, but no one was publishing his work, His his work. And uh, he has given up on his dreams, and he's at the point where he's kind of just like, hey, maybe you should give up on your dreams, too, because dreams are stupid. So he he
0: Again, he's an ambitious comic book writer. Or was. Or, or, well, he was an ambitious comic book writer, and now he works in an office supply store.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Mom is able to pay for a two-story home in the suburbs by being a failed romance novelist. Well, not so much
1: failed as... Or a struggling in, romance novelist well, she's, who's lost her muse as she's, well. She's published romance novels before she's won awards but her new one is not coming to her she's worried about the future of her career um and so uh so will this family be able to make it work mm-hmm. what will bring magic into this family and the answer um, to that is a squirrel a squirrel that got sucked into a magic squirrel vac well it's a, it's a it's one of those like Vacuum cleaners that wander around being a vacuum cleaner Mm. on their own,
0: a Roomba, but not really, but it's outdoors and it's like not a real thing. It's this fantasy object.
1: Yeah, it gets sucked into this vacuum cleaner and uh, perhaps because of that or perhaps because they really don't explain it. Uh, The squirrel seems to have superpowers, and the squirrel can... is like And and human intelligence as well. Like, it can type and communicate
0: and understand human languages.
1: Yeah, and it seems to be, like, unusually strong for a squirrel. Like, it could, like, lift up a kid and prevent Mm. a kid from, like, falling out of, like, a treehouse. And so this little girl is like, oh, this squirrel's really cool. Maybe things are cool, and maybe we could, like... I don't know, exploit the squirrel and like maybe my dad could do comics. I don't know. Like the squirrel well, will she, be like the thing that brings our family together somehow in like she a takes sort of vague it, way.
0: She takes it completely in stride. Yeah. So, like, she she okay. says to her, like, wow, that's really kind of neat. But she never like seems to be filled with awe at the fact that she can now communicate with a squirrel. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, well, and because you have superpowers, I know exactly what to do. We'll have to give you like superhero stuff. Yeah, but give you a superhero
1: name and an she origin. really and...
0: like, focus on that she kind of like wanders she loses interest loses interest in this extraordinary flying squirrel for a little bit and uh, loses interest and is a, hang, hangs out with her friend and goes she, to stores with her dad two and,
1: two words that I would use most often perhaps in describing uh, Florian ulysses is loses interest not just because I myself lost interest a lot of times uh, but because I feel like the movie loses interest and uh, I feel like the movie is just clinically unfocused and so what you I feel like what we've got here is a movie that is. At its core, let's just take it to its core It's a movie about a mildly broken family Not Mm. even broken, dented And an animal comes into their life And it brings in just a little bit of chaos Just a little bit of magic And the family comes back together It's something along the lines of Stuff Disney's done before. The Three Lives of Tom Cat, that that darn darn cat. cat, But there's a supernatural element to it as well, where the superhero has the squirrel has superpowers. So it's also like a little bit of like the Shaggy Dog or Mm. the cat from outer space. So both of those things, I'm like, I'm fine with. That's Disney's wheelhouse. They've been doing that for for over half a century. Mm. This, I'm fine with all of that. What pisses me off is exactly what you said. Is that this isn't just a perhaps banal or at least benign family film about a family coming together because of an animal. Every fucking opportunity they have to reference another Disney intellectual property, Mm. they will take that opportunity and they will exploit it like hell. Sometimes it's really fucking forced. Like the doorbell in the house is like the Imperial March
0: from why? Star Wars, yeah.
1: Why? What is that what does that symbolize here? Like what is that why would they put that one in? Do they feel like they have an evil house? What what where are we going with this? There's a bit uh, at where uh, the little girl Flora is like bonding with her dad. Is it Ben Schwartz, ben Schwartz. Bonding with her dad on like um um on a on a patio at night, you know, and looking out over the stars. And and you can tell this is ADR. ADR stands for automatic dialogue replacement. Mm. Are where uh, you record dialogue after you've shot the scene. Yeah, this is incredibly common. Almost every movie ever made has that uses sound has used this, and it helps do things like uh, you know smooth over bad sound you can't use like on the set. There are loud cars, yeah. whatever.
0: Or, 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 or... a lot of films are being rewritten and reworked. You know, in post production. Yeah. So they
1: br- bring in the actors to. Add dialogue that was never in the script When they were filming Typically and it's very very common This will be to add information That test audiences thought was a little unclear Like wait a minute Why did they go to this guy So now when they drive up to the front of the building You'll hear this And you won't see dad's lips moving or anything You'll just hear dad say Well it is a sure good thing mom had the phone number For this veterinarian or Mm. or something To that effect And Mm. you can just tell that like there's reason If you don't see someone say it There's a decent chance it's ADR um, And she the ADR line is her saying, I love you 3000. Oh, I know. From I, Avengers I, I, Endgame. And it's insufferable. <laughs> There's a, a scene where
0: the dad gets a, a little bit uh, uh, overwhelmed on his night shift just by mm-hmm. boredom uh, at the office supply store and decides to uh, build stuff. And he builds Star Wars mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And just flying Star Wars around. And because it's a superhero movie, there are plenty of references to uh Marvel comics and Marvel Comics
1: characters. Yeah. Uh so it as, opens with a montage of the kid talking about oh, you know, superheroes all have a lot of things in common, like Silver Surfer and Wolverine and absolutely no DC Comics.
0: No. Although Only they, Marvel. They, they allude to Superman at one point. Like really like they they refer to the Fortress of Solitude, which is Vangely. Superman's yeah,
1: thing. I'll grant you that. I'll um, grant you that.
0: But yeah, it's, it's, a, this because they have all of these images. They actually have real life comic books, Marvel comics, mm-hmm. like they actually show covers. They don't yeah. have to license those anymore.
1: Technically, I believe this is the first Disney movie in which Wolverine and the Silver Surfer appear. Mm. They're kind of I don't know if that's trivia that will be useful someday but technically they're in there but th- this is like
0: uh, sort of like it plays more like a commercial flex by the company trying to brag about what they
1: have it, it's like you've if you've seen anything with like really awkward product placement where like mm. it's not just someone's drinking a beverage but it's got to be a Pepsi and the Pepsi logo has mm. to be at the screen or you know they're wearing like a Pepsi hat or something and it's like they're clearly going out of their way to put mm-hmm. this product in the movie. It's every Disney intellectual property in Florida and Ulysses. It's insulting. It, I, I'm at least relieved that there wasn't a scene where
0: they're watching like a Disney animated film and talking about how great it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really, just really gross. I, I
1: hate that kind of shit. There's this one really weird one and uh, there's a movie called The Princess Switch. Mm. Uh, with Vanessa Hudgens It's on Netflix And it's about a princess And she switches places With, with another Vanessa Baker, Hudgens with, yeah. with another Vanessa Hudgens the both people Vanessa Hudgens They switch places Prince and the Pauper uh, The princess ends up Spending time Just hanging out With like The other Vanessa Hudgens' friends And they're actually Watching the movie uh, 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 The Christmas Prince hmm. Which is also on Netflix In the first movie And then in the second movie The characters from the movie The Christmas Prince Show up <laughs> and I'm like wait a minute were they watching A documentary on the Christmas Prince What's going on so it's really confusing To me <laughs> how can we watch Baseballs the movie we're still in the middle of making it Um yeah that's <laughs> Exactly exactly my point Um for me so the th- thing that th- I,
0: Yeah there there's that and the Fact that they're not doing Anything remotely like legitimately funny with the squirrel
1: No. is
0: also completely aggravating. I don't mind a stupid movie about a superpowered squirrel. Go for I'm, it. I'm in there.
1: I'm, yeah. I that's... was excited. I was like, cool. Fine. You know what? I, I miss this kind of mm. Disney movie where everything was just kind of silly. Mm. I feel like they've just gone. I remember thinking before I hit play on this, Disney has gone so all in on their like, in like mass marketed intellectual properties that they're not really doing Disney movies the way they used to. And so, like, this might be a fun throwback Disney movie. There was mm. a reason, like, this... I was like, I'm having such a hard week. Please give me a That Darn Cat. I will take the <laughs> 90s That Darn Cat. Just give me a that, yeah, that Darn Cat, please. That 90s That Darn Cat is... is It's watchable. Fine. It's fine. It's watchable. It's, 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 I, I meant it. Like, I would have been fine mm. with it. Just give me something inoffensive mm. and sweet, please. And then they ended up using it to advertise all their, all their own stuff. Yeah, but it, um, but
0: uh, because they're not sort of rolling with the absurdity, even if you're not going to give me a 90s that darn cat, give me G-Force. Remember the, the, G- no, the spy I'm, movie I'm, with the, the guinea
1: pigs? I'm, if you take away the product placement, I'd be, this would be better than G-Force.
0: Mm, G Force is not good. G Force uh... was
1: obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> this is only obnoxious when it's in marketing. The All rest right. of the time it's 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 an unfocused kids movie. I yeah, think I, I they think... never know what to do with the squirrel. The squirrel never gets an identity or a plot and I think that's a big mistake. You've given the squirrel superpowers. What does he do with them? Nothing really. Nothing, um,
0: there there's not a big there is a super villain character there's kind of. an animal control guy and yeah. there's something fun you can do with that like every time he attacks the squirrel maybe he loses a limb <laughs> or uh, you know that might do, be a bit do, much do for so, I don't, be, I don't
1: care. I'm just
0: saying, they're gonna, they're, I'm they're, making a good a movie. Studio. I don't care
1: about the brand. The there's going to be a studio note and we're going to have to re- reshoot that if you like put he that can, on camera. You can't lose an eye in this scene. Well, why not? Well, is he Just turn
0: turn him into like a super villain where like he becomes so aggravated by this squirrel that he's like in a basement room welding like a yeah. claw onto his hand See, or something. See, that would
1: funny. He's played by Danny Pudy, mm-hmm. uh who you probably know from Community. A very funny actor. Hmm. Um and every briefly he can be very very funny in this but he's just the guy who wants to catch the squirrel. Yeah. That's it. He, there's a there's, he has to be attacked by CGI squirrels at some point mm. and it's kind of funny to see Danny Pooty pretend to be attacked by CGI squirrels but not really. No. No. Um
0: for me D- Disney yeah. did another mm. uh CGI animal film just last year. They did uh, Call of the Wild, which was a a yeah acquisition it was a fox film but yeah it was a lot of actors acting opposite a cgi animal and there's a lot of scenes with the cgi animal that film for as dull as it is mm-hmm does at least bother to give the dog some personality. And they actually filmed the dog in mocap. Yeah. They had a human actor doing dog stuff, and then they animated a CGI
1: dog over the human actor. Still feels like an unnecessary choice to Yeah,
0: me. well, I mean, it's, it's, they're, I get they're anyone... experimenting with the tech. I feel it's I understand, fine. It just but, yeah. strikes
1: me as a lot. Uh, D- Disney Plus, one of the, I don't know if it was a launch title, but it was like one of the first original movies to premiere on Disney Plus was the remake of Lady and the Tramp. That's right. Uh, which was fine. I didn't see that one. It was fine. It was, they removed some of the racism, Mm. which is good. Mm. Um, But it's always been a slight story, Lady Mm. and the Tramp. And it's still slight. And it's still kind of, kind of a bit of a puff piece. And you remove the fancy animation and what you've got is a CGI talking dog movie. Mm. But it's fine. Like it's, it's inoffensive. Like you totally watch it and have a decent enough time with the family. Um, Here I think it suffers because they don't know what to do with the squirrel It ends up just bringing a family together I'm like you have a superhero squirrel Let it do superhero stuff Or let the family, I don't know, put it on TV or something Like come up with a plan here Mm. Because no one ever knows what to do with the squirrel The one saving grace of this film for me And this is something that if I was a kid I would maybe have picked up on subconsciously But not given a shit Mm. Is the parents Okay. I think Ben Schwartz and Allison Hannigan, as parents who are like they're in their forties ish, uh, they're struggling with, you know, their careers and their creative drives mm. and family has been one big giant distraction for them and they're worried about paying the bills. Yeah, they're living in a Disney mansion, but like they're still worried about paying the bills. I, yeah. I can sympathize with the sentiment. I actually thought they were bringing it. I actually thought Ben Schwartz and Allison Hannigan were trying to bring an emotional honesty to these kooky characters. Mm. And I actually connected with them a little bit. So that grounded it just enough mm. to make me not hate it. Okay. So I, I, when I'm watching this, I'm, I, every time Allison Hannigan or Ben Schwartz are on screen, I'm thinking to myself, you know, those characters feel like they're in a real movie. And the little girl who plays Flora, who I deserves a shout out. She's she's doing her job. She, she's fine. She she's yeah, Matilda Lawler is her name, and she's she's yeah. fine. She's doing her job. Just the, the character
0: know. is built to be completely precocious, yeah. and I couldn't connect with the marriage at all because I knew that this was going to be a story of how a squirrel heals a marriage, of course. and uh, we couldn't have a, a film on Disney Plus where the girl has to learn about what it is like to watch her parents separate Mm -hmm. and how they've actually,
1: why they drifted apart to begin with. And why it might actually be a good thing in the long run for them to be apart. That it's it's
0: really, really painful, but this is something that needs to happen. And it doesn't need to be, you know, this painful, wrenching story like, you know, The Squid and the Whale. And they can even be friends.
1: They can be like, hey, listen, we're just better apart.
0: Yeah. That could be fine
1: too. Mm. And you're right, that is... If, If
0: there were some actual, you know, real... Humanity in this movie Then yeah. I would be okay with it But these are all Cardboard cutouts Reading these really boring lines There's not a lot of humor And then In the middle of all of this Janine Garofalo Is paying off her car I was uh, just
1: about To bring this up
0: There's a couple there's a, of There's a, a scene or two Where uh, Alison Hannigan Meets with her agent Her agent is played By Janine Garofalo Janine Garofalo Should
1: have been Starring in this movie At the very least Actually know, she, there's Better material It than should that, have been like,
0: Janine Garofalo is is a divorced novelist no children yeah and she's the one who discovers the superpowered squirrel mm-hmm. and she is angered by its presence in her life <laughs> It's like and, and it starts to build a fortress of solitude in her apartment and she just lets it happen is like oh, okay fine for now and then slowly she comes to terms with living with a superhero squirrel
1: Okay, you know that's what?
0: the in Ulysses movie I want to see
1: okay you know what? that's actually pretty funny <laughs> you, you, you lost me for a minute there because I didn't see what the through line was and now that I see what the through line is like where her, her home is being taken over by a superhero a, movie but it's mm. by, with squirrels mm. that's funny I'm not going to lie That yeah, that's and, actually a good thing. And, and
0: the squirrel brings in like a raccoon and it scares off the dog that's been making her life of living hell and then it yeah and then what the hell it murders her boss
1: yeah and so it's sort of <laughs> like uh uh Florin ulysses meets joe's apartment meets man's best friend yes yeah, so, uh, l- l- yeah.
0: give me some i That's know a
1: great pitch to disney th- i picture is... you going into okay, <laughs> now i know you, i know you i know you shuttered blue sky which by the way you Fucking assholes! <laughs> you really didn't have to do that. You're such dicks. This would have okay. been a great
0: Blue Sky project. But anyway, right, yeah. you—you
1: you shuttered Blue Sky. It's fucked up. But one of the Blue Sky's first movies that they ever worked on was Joe's Apartment. Okay, so we're gonna do Joe's Apartment, but instead of cockroaches, I know what you're thinking. It's gonna be a squirrel. Mm. And you know the movie Man's Best Friend with Ali Sheedy and Lance Henriksen. You know the movie. You, this guy knows. <laughs> All right, so like, when the dog like goes like crazy and like cuts people's brakes and stuff, and like turns invisible and starts eating cats whole, yeah. Dog okay, but it's invisible. a squirrel. You're done. You're you're welcome. Basically, is uh, I'll take my check now, or do I do I get my check when I leave? I get my check as I leave. <laughs> as I leave. Okay. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. I get my check so, as I leave.
0: So I leave <laughs> so, through this dark tunnel. You want me to yeah. leave down there? Okay.
1: Okay. Are the security guards here to protect my check. Oh look! Okay. Right,
0: look there on the floor—a trap door just opened. Oh, I was supposed to be standing. Oh, that's the way out. Okay. Okay. You
1: know what? It's, I, that's embarrassing. I'll just jump in. Yeah. <laughs>
0: ah, this is so cool. <laughs> um. Yeah, that that's that's my pitch for a better flora yeah. you you never want to watch a movie and as as a critic be imagining a
1: better movie. In your no, mind. it sucks. And and frankly, and that's the trap sometimes you fall into because. Mm. You don't want to complain that the movie you're watching isn't a movie you didn't watch. Yeah. That's not good criticism. It's not. And we're not pretending that it is. The underlying criticism behind that spark of imagination where you imagine the better movie is this movie is not good. Mm -hmm. And it makes you wish you were watching something else. Yeah. And that's Florian Ulysses. I think at best it's inoffensive, but at worst it's actually quite offensive. If at least on like so, a marketing so, yes, perspective Cynical it's just, and money it feels, grubbing It feels like they took a, really, a relatively Simple story about a family And a squirrel And just Threw it into like a commercial Blender and just made sure that Like it takes place in a world Where everything is filtered through the Disney lens and not in like A natural kind of way Because that mm-hmm. is life well, like, re- But re- in a re- very f- forced way yeah, it, like, it's. unfair nice. Disney is everywhere. I'm not going to pretend it's not, yeah. but it's not that force. I,
0: I remember. Uh, um, I didn't see uh, E.T. until late in my life. Yeah, uh, but that movie came out in 1982, right when Star Wars was booming in the real world. Yeah, the Empire so, had already uh,
1: come out. Return of the Jedi was about to come out in a so year. So a lot we, of the, go, a
0: yeah. lot of the production design. Uh, Reflected on that. The kids yeah. had Star Wars toys and yeah. they were wearing Star Wars t-shirts. Like there was a kid dressed as a Star Wars character for Halloween yeah. in
1: that movie. Yeah, it was kid culture. And, kid culture had a lot of Star Wars in it at the time.
0: And, and that felt pretty organic. Yeah. It was. It didn't feel like Spielberg was doing his friend George Lucas a favor. Yeah. Uh, maybe he was, but yeah. it didn't feel like it. You know, He was no, able no, to, fine. to sort of deftly handle that. This doesn't feel like it takes place in the real world at all. No. It takes place in that clean, edgeless Disney world.
1: It feels like no one in the movie has ever seen anything but a Disney movie. Mm. And that's the part that feels false. If it
0: took place in Celebration, Florida, the city that Disney owns, then that would have been like maybe some sort of commentary. Like this is what the world looks
1: like in a city that's owned by Disney. Disney has decided to like do a sequel to the Florida project. (laughs)
0: <laughs> there you go <laughs> and, but this time it's got
1: a superhero squirrel in it
0: look up celebration florida it's in a real city yeah. in florida that disney owns
1: yeah it's weird um anyway Fleur and ulysses uh, mm. i wish i could say it was harmless and inoffensive and it's fine i really wish i could mm. say that it's not I, I don't i don't it didn't rub me quite as wrong way mm. It didn't rub me the wrong way quite as much as whitney but it's not a good film mm. uh let's move on what do you want to talk about mm. next uh, how about the
0: map of tiny perfect things?
1: okay just to choose one kind of arbitrarily and this is uh this is a film about geography
0: uh no this is actually the latest in what is now becoming a subgenre of films. This is uh, the, the time loop. the third film in like the last th- two or three years I've seen where somebody's stuck in a time loop there's also Palm yeah. Springs there were the two happy death day movies
1: yeah and now we have There's been a ton of Christmas movies mostly straight to TV. Yeah, I've I'm seen sure, a lot of yeah, Christmas yeah, movies where Christmas is repeated over and over again
0: uh, I would love to see it uh, be like Christmas Eve yeah. You never actually get to Christmas yeah, sure That's be been fun. done
1: a couple times yeah, but uh, you know uh, you've seen Groundhog Day, or at least you know the, you're familiar with the basic idea. Yeah, yeah. The day repeats, or a certain amount of time repeats over and over and over again, and uh, only one person, or maybe two, are yeah, aware yeah. that they're stuck in a time loop, and they're able to affect change. But at the end of the day, everything goes resets back to zero, well, and well, nothing they our, do matters. Where
0: only our protagonist has memories of that. Uh, yeah, this is the YA romance version of that. Okay. Uh, the main character is a teenage boy. He lives in a, a pretty small town, and he's clearly been repeating the same day a couple of times he, in an opening sequence, which is pretty well done because it's in, mostly in one shot. You get to see him just sort of wander the streets of the film, like, catching some things that people have dropped or pointing people in the right direction. He's memorized everything that's li- happened. Living in a little his, too
1: perfectly. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in this
0: town. this. It was the, the exact same approach uh, that in Palm Springs, only without like sort of like the bite or the cynicism.
1: Yeah, or or the yeah. end of Groundhog Day when mm. Bill Murray's doing everything perfect.
0: Yeah, he just yeah. he's doing everything perfectly, and he's just sort of bored with life, in that teen angsty sort of way.
1: Every day is the and, same,
0: and uh, every day is the same, and. His goal is to catch the attention of a young lady who is not um, not repeating. So he's trying to catch her attention in the same way every day. She falls into a pool at this point. He's going to be there to catch her. And sometimes he, he messes up like he catches her before she get, gets knocked into the pool. So he ends up just like grabbing her hand. And it's really awkward. Yeah. So he has to like him. Uh, and he starts complaining to his friends and to his parents that uh, everything is just sort of the same. Hmm. It's all a metaphor, you see, for being bored in a small town. I've heard uh, of worse metaphors. And uh, Into His Life should come from uh, the movie Freaky, the actress from the movie Freaky, yeah. Catherine Newton.
1: Okay, uh, cool.
0: Who's, who's, uh, she's a star on the rise. Keep an eye on Catherine Newton. She's going to be big in a couple of years. She's very
1: funny and yeah. freaky. Very she,
0: she's very good in freaky. She's been in she's been very good in a couple of movies, yeah. actually. And yeah, here she plays the co-lead, and it turns out she is also stuck in this time loop. Okay. And they begin to uh bond over their shared boredom of living in this small town, uh, and they don't really know why they're doing it, other than to figure out maybe the perfect things that are going on this time and they make up uh, every morning he draws up a perfect map of all of perfect things little tiny moments that they've mm-hmm. captured the the tennis ball that bounces off of a, a, a pole and hits a guy in the head and, it, and it's really funny and it's this kind of quirky little yeah tati hell of moment. a shot you know like yeah. how did that happen now? uh the, the the two little kids who plug in christmas lights in their tree house and they get really really happy and, uh, he becomes obsessed with this. She insists that they're not becoming boyfriend-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um. Good. I, I don't see why not, but, uh, you know, she, uh. She insists that they
1: have to she, kind of she, stay she, at an emotional she, she's distance. She's seen time loop movies. She knows where this is going and yeah, she'd rather not. Thanks. Yeah.
0: And and over the course of the film, he eventually learns that she is repeating a day over and over again, which with a big tragedy in it, a personal tragedy of hers. Oh. And uh, she has to be at a certain place at a certain, at the same, you know, every day at the same time. Yeah. And so he has to sort of reconcile and work through uh, the way she's been processing essentially the same angst over and over again every day for goodness knows how long. Yeah. And sort of get through to her and point out to her that the world is kind of this wonderful, perfect place. It's kind of treacly.
1: Sounds it. But is that bad? I
0: I feel like, well, after something like Palm Springs, which real, like, dives headlong into kind of the existential meaning of a lot of this sort of time loop stuff, this feels like a big step back. It feels like they're not addressing any of the bigger issues that would come with uh, going through a time loop. And I know that you can't do that anymore because now this is just a premise. It's like, I was thinking about
1: this, like, it's like zombies. Like before George A. Romero You can't
0: deal with the concept of zombies in every zombie movie We just have to start taking it for granted Exactly Like The
1: idea of zombies existed before Night of the Living Dead But when Night of the Living Dead came along It codified the specific type of zombies This idea that there's this apocalypse coming Where all of the dead just come back to life Mm. And shamble around and start eating people And even though that's kind of a weird premise If you think about it It caught on And it took a couple, it took like a decade or two for it to become like ubiquitous, Mm. but then it did. And it just became this like pop culture sort of, I don't know, just, just lodestone Mm. and everyone knows it and everyone's familiar with it and no one questions it anymore. And I feel like it took a few decades, but Groundhog Day, and and there've been films since. Mm. Uh, There's a really cool one I liked uh, with, I think it's Abigail Breslin called Haunter. Oh, was a, that a, that was a day repeating movie? yeah it's like, she's, but it's like the day before her family got murdered oh and gosh. so like so it's like it's her just living up to that and having to watch the same episode of murder she wrote over and over again and waiting <laughs> for her family to get murdered um and it's pretty good actually I like that movie a lot um so like it had been done since but it feels like we finally hit critical mass and now it's just accepted that we're not even ripping off Groundhog day anymore we're just taking we just all accept that this is a neat premise mm. And if you do something clever or good or, or even just earnest with it, yeah, you can get something useful out of it, and you can tell a fun story. And indeed, it's actually a pretty malleable premise thematically, mm-hmm. because you, you're you're saying it's like a metaphor for teenage malaise. Yeah, for, that's I mean, as good a metaphor small, as I've small, small town teenage, te- teenage malaise. It's yeah, fine. That's you're, fine. You're,
0: you're literally repeating the same day over and over again. Yeah, and I it's so, it. it's summer vacation, so they actually have no like real responsibilities, so they can just sort of run around. Well, oh, that's whatever. convenient.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If it was a school day, be well, sufferable. I have to like, take the same math test over and over again? Well, just don't go to school anymore. Well, you yeah, you wouldn't, to, I yeah. wouldn't bother anymore. But then, like, but, but, then uh, like, that but then there's like that truant mm-hmm. officer, like Ferris Bueller, who's <laughs> heading after you. There,
0: There is a, a wrinkle in this film that I did appreciate uh, where... He's been repeating the same day over and over again. And he wakes up and his mom has already gone to work. So he actually hasn't seen his mother in years in his own oh, head. Oh, that sucks. Even though she she's just at work. but Yeah, yeah he, he probably doesn't visit her. To, Yeah, so he gets, visit to, her. he gets to talk to his dad a lot. His dad uh, recently go, quit his job. So he's just sort of at home all day. Go visit
1: your mom at work. Mm-hmm.
0: Go. <laughs> what are you doing? You haven't seen her in years. Mm-hmm. Go see her at work. What are you doing? Catch a bus. I thought that, that was kind of a cute okay. premise. And and they do try to, like, get out of it by doing some extreme things. Like, we're going to get out on a plane and fly across the International Dayline and see if that works and doesn't, doesn't work.
1: yeah uh,
0: It's a little slight. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it, it might be a little too enamored of its premise, which is now too familiar for us to be really kind of wowed by.
1: Yeah, I might come a little late in the yeah. cycle for how mm. little it does with it. yeah And,
0: yeah. and also, I'm frustrated by how emotionally deep the teens are are prevented from becoming they seem like pretty simple kids with really simple needs they're not really exploring their relationship if they're going to be spending day after day together for literally years their relationship would evolve and the way they communicate whether they they meant it
1: to or not a a little bit
0: more earnest and maybe they'd start behaving a little bit more adult and if you think about it yeah if this is taking place over
1: years and they're mm -hmm. teenagers by the time I don't know if they get out of the time loop or whatever the storyline is and that's not the issue but like after they've been in there for years, mentally they're adults. They mm. might still have like chemical processes and hormones that are affecting them, but yeah. they'll have the time and the wisdom and the introspection
0: yeah. and that
1: comes from living a long time.
0: And I know teen romances don't always deal with sex, but this takes place in a world where sex doesn't exist. Mm. Like there's no sexual attraction between these people at all. And that's frustrating. Yeah. You know, where, where it's they don't a missed opportunity yeah. to think about it, yeah. Because it, I, it's, I think it's a PG thirteen rated film. Well, oh, They want I mean, to can, keep it sort of.
1: They can smooch. It can be implied.
0: Like it's the, this sort of light, sexless romance, and and that always rubs me the wrong way because sex is a big part of romance and a romantic mm-hmm. story, and especially when you're and, young or just, and hormonal. Or just a story about human beings. I know there yeah. were a lot. A lot of articles have been written, added finitum, about how a lot of these PG thirteen rated action blockbusters have no sex in them because mm-hmm. it's a difficult sell. That's considered a little bit more adult yeah. material they
1: want just a little sexiness so yeah. they can put it in the trailer but they're not actually gonna have
0: yeah like they, they that. have like attractive people in them so yeah. but you know there's no actual sexuality
1: one of my favorite cynical exercises is watch the trailer for almost any there are exceptions but mm. watch the trailer for almost any mainstream movie mm. and find like the one shot of kind of sexiness mm. that they throw into the montage towards the end Yeah. There's just like one shot. Somebody their hair or
0: somebody with their shirt off. Yeah, Yeah.
1: or or someone like, you know, in a bikini or whatever, but even though it's like, the tiniest of moments in the movie and it's not it's, actually a sexual moment or it might not even be
0: a character from the film it's just an extra during yeah. like a, a pool montage like like or something. fast and yeah. the
1: furious they'll have like some of like you know those the attractive ladies from like the various street races and we'll just it's always that, throw that, that in there but that, that implies that one there's so low much more... angle of all of the women yeah.
0: like in short shorts yeah. and it
1: implies there's so much more sensuality in the movie than mm. there actually is going to be yeah It's weird. So, yeah. It's like, uh, we're still selling the sex, but you're not giving us any sex. So it's
0: it's unfortunately a little toothless and not not as wise as I think uh, it it should have been. If if you're going to have a story about people who are, like, literally, like, living past their current state, their current mindset Mm -hmm. and accruing wisdom write wise characters yeah. don't have them stay teenagers the entire time you, again you
1: have if you're writing characters who are smarter than you are mm-hmm. you have to write smart you have to yeah, <laughs> yeah. well that sounds a little yeah. unfortunate it doesn't um right. what about uh, tell me about what do you want to talk about next uh choose on. one all right tell me about the mauritanian
0: all right the mauritanian uh is a uh, a true story of mohammed uh i'm gonna butcher this mohammedu Ould salahi Okay. who was held at Guantanamo Bay oh uh, for many many years uh. without being accused of anything uh. And this uh, its actually a really uh, harrowing story because it tells his story, but it also tells the story of the lawyer who was trying, the ACLU lawyer who's trying to free him. She's played by Jodie Foster oh, and uh, the prosecuting cool. attorney who uh, eventually refused to prosecute him because it was completely immoral. And he's played by Benedict Cumberbatch, who is doing a wonderful voice. Oh, <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch is actually really good at voices. If, if you yeah. recall, he also played the Grinch in that one
1: animated film. He's got, he's got a great like Orson Welles kind of vibe like he brings a lot of gravitas yeah. to everything that he does um okay yeah, well it's uh, a good cast I, bah- I like um, Salahi
0: is played by uh, Tahar T- 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 Rahim so I wanted yeah. to give him a shout who out who too. I
1: remember from um uh the past oh okay. uh, yeah which no. is uh which is a really hmm. really Really, I didn't really... see the past. Asgar yeah. Farhadi is one of my favorite living filmmakers. Um he won a couple of Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. He did the uh, A Separation oh, wait, and, a... The, and The Salesman. And I and, saw the Salesman, I And the film he made in the middle there, which was amazing and just as good but got a little overlooked, mm-hmm. is called The Past, which is like yeah. this like kind of mystery movie, but it's a mystery about why this family is falling apart and it's really fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, great actors. Great yeah, great, great cast actor. overall it sounds like
0: um uh, it this it functions perfectly well. Uh, mm. It feels a lot like a remake of the life of Emile Zola, and um. uh, which was about um, also a biopic. Uh, yeah, a biopic about um, the the Dreyfus affair and how. Uh, another story about somebody who was wrongly imprisoned. wasn't like they were accused of a crime in the Dreyfus affair. Mm. Dreyfus but, was, but it was wrong, but it, it was but it purely was, because of anti-Semitism and it was because, yeah, because he was Jewish and it was just the result of anti-Semitism and he was in prison wrongly for many, many years until somebody bothered to fight for this guy who deserved it. Yeah. Uh, Everything with uh, with Salahi is great. All of his experiences in the prison, the way they mistreated him and the ways they tortured him, it's not explicit, but we get to see just sort of how bad things got for him and how he was slowly withdrawing hope and this idea that he's going to be able to see his family again. Uh, at first, he thinks, okay, there's some things that can be done, and he got to talk to a lawyer, and there's actually some hope here, but enough time eventually passes that you can see him just give everything up. And, uh, and he gives a really, really great performance. But it also feels really kind of slick and Hollywood yeah. uh, in that sort of Hollywood biopic sort of way. This feels like Oscar bait. You know, we got big stars. It's going to be shot really in this really kind of aesthetically pleasing sort of way. There's no rawness to this and, and i understand we've had a lot of stories about guantanamo we've even had documentaries about it and we've learned just the, the true horrors that were really going on there watch errol morris's film uh standard operating procedure oh at yeah some that, point. that that, one, that we're up. just yeah that's about the the photo scandal about how you know what american soldiers were doing to the prisoners there and how they photographed it and recorded it all yeah we're like, all really all very just
1: bizarre weird <sighs> like
0: like, bizarre that they would think to capture that on that a they, film. That they
1: didn't think it would be a problem. Mm. That they thought everyone would be fine with that. Like,
0: this is just what we're doing
1: now. and Yeah, it's so grotesque, yeah. So,
0: it, it does feel, uh, unfortunately, a little bit bland. Uh, this is important subject matter, and I feel it... Uh, this is a good example as to how Hollywood deals with uh, war and current events in history. I think enough time has now passed since uh, the George W. Bush administration. This takes mm-hmm. place during the George W. Bush administration. Okay, that it is now light fodder for Hollywood awards bait. It feels like there's now no longer anything daring about telling this
1: story. Yeah, it's not edgy. Yeah, it's it's we're well, we're not
0: blowing the lid off of anything. All of these the facts are actually really well known now, mm-hmm. and having lived through it myself and having felt the outrage and seen the, the horrendous crimes that, that America committed during this war yeah, and how not a lot really came of it.
1: Like, it, no, there weren't a lot of consequences. There weren't a lot of consequences. And so change. we're
0: going back to this and we're seeing this really dramatic story of this poor man who uh suffered through a horrendous amount of, just mistreatment and came out on the other side and has actually was released and survived as something that feels almost kind of pointless at the end of the day. It's like his survival is wonderful. I'm glad he survived and his story is fascinating, deserves to be told. But the greater meaning is that nothing really came of all of that other than torture for no reason. Mm Mm-hmm. The the evil isn't bucked up against. It's just something that happened now, and it's not it's something we ever really came to terms with.
1: It's bad, but like, yeah, yeah we're not. It, there's like, a, like
0: as as a na- the character of yeah. our nation is not confronted in this, and
1: way, that's right. fucked up. There's a there's. It reminds me a little. And again, I didn't I didn't see this, so I'm just mm. spitballing here. But uh, there's a game coming out, a video game called Six Days in Fallujah, mm-hmm. uh, which is about it sounds incredibly you, tasteful. All right, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's about putting you. In the actual uh, uh, events. And there's this interview uh, at Polygon.com with the uh, designer or head developer. And they're talking about how they're trying to like keep this from being political. Mm-hmm. And there's a really brilliant uh, Twitter thread uh, from, uh, I think there are... Uh, yeah, they're like a game developer and, uh, and the public speaker, mm-hmm. uh, Rami Ismail. Please look this up. This whole thread's brilliant. He breaks down every single bit of this interview and explaining why this overall perspective—not just of this game, but like the way that like American media is treating the events in the Middle East now that it's like a little in the rearview mirror, even though it's still completely contemporary. Mm-hmm. But like we've been there long enough that like it's, it's starting a- to become part of the past that we're completely overlooking a lot, not just atrocities, but we're actually just getting like complacent about it. Yeah, it's and like we're we, starting we've let to...
0: ourselves off the hook yeah. in a lot of ways.
1: And and we're not looking at this sufficiently from the perspective of people who weren't like say the Americans in this situation. And that whole thread's brilliant. I could never do it justice. Please read that. It's really, it's really, really thoughtful and yeah. smart, but, yeah. but it's this trap. Where it's becoming this thing we tell stories about Hmm. And we're removing the immediacy Which frankly would still be relevant Which is shit's fucked up And desperately needs to change now It's not like in the past Well, like, okay, and then there all these things happened But fortunately we passed this legislation Mm. And everything turned out okay, right? Mm, A, probably not And B, no, still going on now To one extent or another Mm. Bad uh, still, still furious. Yeah,
0: Come I, on, keep it alive. I, I appreciate it. I'm going to remember the title this time. The film, The Report, which was a, uh, the the Adam Driver film about the torture reports, and that is about how the s- searching for all of these details and uncovering stuff was wearing on his soul. And I don't get that from that tone from this. That there's a lot of outrage about what happened. It's just about surviving this horrible experience. And well, guess glad that's over with. Yeah and that that didn't ma- that didn't sit right with me that were are hollywood hollywoodizing well, uh it raises these the, these sorts of stories now it
1: raises the question and mm-hmm. you saw the movie and I did so I'm going to ask you this question having seen the movie hmm. what's its function is it supposed hmm. to really make you think about what it would have been like to actually personally be there is it about uh trying to expose uh, the bureaucracy that allows someone to be imprisoned for that long with no charges well, is it about I... is it about outrage? like what mm. is it about and what's it trying to do that would make it relevant beyond mm. simply exposing mm. a story that happened? Well, that happened,
0: he, here's something that's just true, and it, it's that Americans have a very short memory. Yeah. Uh, we we don't know our own history. Uh, it's it's kind of painful how often we need to remind ourselves of things that happened in even in the recent past. So I think the function of of the Mauritanian is to uh, use Hollywood language to essentially reeducate uh, audiences of the recent past. There might be younger audiences who aren't familiar with all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and uh, Hell, you know. Spielberg's been turning that Into a cottage industry lately With films mm. like Bridge of Spies And The Post Those always yeah. do not take place That long ago They don't take place That long ago And I, I think what
0: Spielberg is doing And I think rather brilliantly With his recent history films Is he's using An event in the past turning it into one crackerjack of a drama, but also very clearly alluding to something that's happening in the present. Yeah. Uh, the Post was about speaking to power. It's a Trump movie. It's about the, how the way the press needed to attack those in power,
1: or yeah. not attack, but, but uh, like but these...
0: ca- take to test those who are in power. Yeah, you don't take uh, it easy
1: on people just because they're in power.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And in that, that the film is about Nixon, but the movie is about Trump. Definitely. Uh, and... Same with uh, Munich. That's very clearly a nine eleven uh, metaphor. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Lincoln is actually about gay marriage yeah. uh, in, in, a, in many, many, many very real ways. This isn't trying to make contemporary or draw any kind of line to the past. It's mm-hmm. just sort of educating you about some of these horrible things that happened just in case you forgot I remember, so it's boring to me. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, fair enough. But for for a younger audience, this might be sort of a, a palatable way to tell them about some really horrible things that happened. And do we want to make these atrocities committed by this country
1: palatable? Yeah, that's a good point. And question. I say no. Yeah, it's a good point. Mm. All right, moving on. Uh, why don't you tell me about... Mm. Uh, because I assumed there's going to be a lot of connective <clears throat> tissue. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Barb and Star go to Vista del Mar.
0: <laughs> uh, Barb and Star go to Guantanamo Bay.
1: Uh, nope, that's uh, Harold and Kumar. Harold and Kumar did that. Yeah. We were already making light of it, <laughs> it didn't take long.
0: Bar- Barb and Star go to Vista <laughs> del Mar. Uh, it's, it's not an SNL film, but it feels like it. Uh, Barb and Star are uh, these broad, uh, middle aged Midwestern mom types. Played by uh, Kristen Wig and uh, Annie Mumolo, who wrote Bar- *Bridesmaids* together. Which one's Barb? Uh, that's Annie Mumolo.
1: Annie Mumolo Chris- is Christian. And Chris- Kristen
0: Wig is Star. Got it. Good to know. And uh, they work at uh, a furniture store, like an Ashley Furniture, and all they do there is sit on one of the couches and just talk all day about completely meaningless stuff. They're hilarious. A good gig because if you can get because it. Annie Mumolo and Kristen Wig are hilarious, this and. They their story is they hear from a friend of theirs that going to Vista del Mar, Florida is the thing to do. Uh when their store closes down rather abruptly, they are out of a job. They live together, they're roommates. It's not explicitly said that they're lovers, but I like to think that they are. Okay. Uh but they decide, okay, we're going to we're gonna to go to Florida and we're gonna do things we've never done before, like go parasailing, do like really tacky touristy stuff, and that's opening up the world to them. Uh, and while while they are there they run into Jamie Dornan oh. who, who is there for uh, reasons I'll get to It's the hunky and guy
1: from Fifty Shades of Grey Fifty
0: Shades of Grey who was also in Wild Mountain Time he was in that I serial don't...
1: killer show The Fall which is fucked
0: up Okay, I didn't see The Fall great show I saw all three of those Fifty Shades of Grey movies and they're all bad varying degrees of bad mm. the first one's the best yep, but it, even that first true. one's not very good the first one at least has a point of view of some mm, kind Yeah, uh, it's but, you know, if, if you're going to make a movie about sort of emerging sexuality, can you, like, make it a little bit more about sexuality uh, rather mm-hmm. than just sort of using a lot of languages you picked up out of a book? It's like it feels like a, an s m encyclopedia rather than people actually doing S&M. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie Dornan and then he was in Wild Mountain Time, uh, which. Uh... I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, boys. You've been no help. <laughs> I did not like it. No, you didn't. <laughs> Jamie Dornan, the only Irish actor in in the bunch, was like the only one who kind of availed himself okay.
1: Yes. Um, I think Emily Blunt was fine, but like regardless. The accents were a problem. The accents point. were mostly a problem. I will give you that. I think Emily Blunt got away with it. And Jamie it, Dornan was fine.
0: And, has, and, he, and Jamie Dornan has this weird speech at the end yes. where he reveals what the,
1: like, the true meaning of the whole movie was and it's totally bonkers. And yet it's the reason why I like it and I'm looking forward to the day when it's been out like on home video long enough. Enough, mm. that I can actually talk about the ending in detail and I can mm. explain why I genuinely mm. like that ending without just ruining the reason to yeah, see the yeah, film. It's, so. it's
0: not going to be generating any buzz, I'll say that. hey Uh The reason Jamie Dornan is also in Vista Del Mar... You can stop making stabbing motions at me. The reason Jamie Dornan is in Vista Del Mar is because he's been sent there by a supervillain who is also... <laughs> Who's also played by Kristen Wiig, going full Kate Blanchett. She has a pale white face and a gigantic robe and long fingernails, and she has a plot to blow up Vista Del Mar from her subterranean high tech lab.
1: I did not know that. <laughs>
0: Neither did I, and boy howdy was I pleasantly surprised. Oh my God. Uh, it it opens uh, the the film opens with just a, a kid on his paper route. This like ten year old boy, and he's throwing papers on on various porches. And they pull, ride rides out of town. It's this pleasant little suburban scene. And he rides out of town into this this big tree. And he gets off his bike, and he's sitting under this pleasant tree. And the sun is dappling his hair. And he looks up at an owl in the tree and the owl turns its head and its eyes light up with lasers and it scans his face. <laughs> and a door in the tree opens up and he gets into an elevator and takes it down. I'm like, okay, you've got my attention. <laughs> he changes into a suit and it turns out this 10 year old boy is like one of the underlings of this super villain played by Kristen Wiig. Who is <laughs> relishing every available opportunity to just overact. Golly, she's a delight. She is. Uh, Barb and Star meanwhile begin to uh, both kind of romance Jamie Dornan. They have a threesome, which is pretty cool. That is
1: cool. <laughs> but they had the movie very often.
0: But then, yeah, then uh, it becomes about their friendship. Is their friendship going to survive? Uh, you know, while Kristen Wiig sneaks off to have an affair with uh, Jamie Dornan, and uh, Barb sneaks off to ha- you know s- smoke hashish and go on these wild adventures by herself, <laughs> and she actually meets Tommy Bahama cameo by Tommy bah- <laughs> I don't know who that is neither do I but he's this <laughs> mythical figure who appears out of the woods played by a notable actor I'm gonna save uh, save who the actual cameo Thank is you, don't for ruin everything. and then he disappears into the woods again and uh, so while they're sort of wrestling with their friendship they also get involved in this plot to destroy Vista Del Mar from a subterranean supervillain lab this film is unexpectedly hilarious wow it, it's it seems like it's gonna be really stupid and it's stupid. That's not... That's but not it's a, a great stupid... Some of the best comedies ever made yeah, are stupid. And, and Duck Soup is stupid. And it is never not delightful, and it is consistently hilarious. Oh my god. Uh, I, I didn't expect to like Barb and Star because they're made to be obnoxious characters, and that's difficult to do. If you're writing a character that's supposed to be really annoying, but you're supposed to like them, mm-hmm. it's really hard to pull. You up. have to at least to consistently. Give them, you have to yeah. give them some kind of charm. Like, um, think of like uh, Ernest. Yeah, Ernest is supposed to be a really obnoxious character. He annoys all the characters around him. But Jim Varney gives him such an aw shucks kind of honesty that you actually kind of like Ernest.
1: Well, the thing with Ernest is that he, whenever he like breaks things or ruins things, it's because he was trying too hard to do the right thing. Yeah. He's a very helpful, kind character. So you're forgiving of him and you can't stay mad at him. Mm -hmm. And that works. But you, you mentioned, and again, I didn't say this and boy, does this sound like one I really should have made the time for. And I will get to this. Mm -hmm. Um, When uh, uh, Saturday night live sketches, you mentioned this is, Started off looks something feeling like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Mm. Saturday Night Live movies are a real fucking hit and miss because those characters might work for three five minute bursts. Yeah. But do they have enough staying power to with to like still be interesting and funny and carry a story mm. over seventy to hundred and twenty minutes? And the answer is very often no, unless yeah, there's something like... human there. A little. Yeah,
0: you have, you have the, the Blues Brothers, you have Wayne and Garth. They mm-hmm. they have a, chemistry together, that's helpful. they got sort yeah. of a, a good relationship. But also, you can put them in a, a scenario where they can sort of live in their own world. And that, yeah. if that's an interesting place to be, that's a good movie. Yeah. Uh Then you have, like, what can you do with a 90-minute film about the Coneheads? I'm not exactly sure. I mean, you just
1: made a movie about aliens pretending to be humans on Earth. Mm-hmm. And, like... That movie sporadically funny, but that's it's kind of it's kind of t- it's it's tired. Got a great monster at the end.
0: They yeah, there's some cool shit. The man. last like, uh, last stop motion creature I saw, I think, in a major Hollywood
1: film. Yeah, I've definitely seen worse films, but then like you get some like Stewart saves his family, where it actually took the opposite tack. Where it, you know, Stewart, if you don't recall, of uh, this '90s mm. SNL character, he was a Stewart like
0: small Stewart Smalley. Stewart Smalley.
1: Yeah, and he was played by. Um, Al Franken Uh, Al Franken played this guy who was like a Self-help guru but he was Actually very meek and mawkish and it didn't seem like He'd actually helped himself that much Mm. So he probably isn't in a great place To be teaching you anything And when they did a movie They said okay That's pretty thin as a character Mm. So we're going to explain how he got that way And the movie is about Familial emotional abuse And it's actually really Fucking harrowing (laughs) No. And not funny. It's not bad, but it's not funny. Mm. It's actually really tragic and bitter. So it's very easy to swing the pendulum too far in either direction, where you're just like just being light and fluffy and you have nothing to work with, or you try way too hard to make it a real movie and it stops being funny anymore. Mm. And you're right, I think Blues Brothers and Wayne and Garth are like the, the apex yeah, that's of that like- kind of Genre, but yeah, yeah.
0: and uh, and Barb and Star is up there. Uh, yeah. Some some critics have been comparing this to Pop Star. And, Ooh, and, that's a, and how that's a compliment. Uh, I, I don't think it's cu- it quite as sublime as something like pop star, but it mm. it's up there. It is. Oh, wow. It is really, really good. It's, I still think pop
1: star is probably uh... the funniest movie of the last 10 years. Oh, it's so damn funny. <laughs> it's really seriously guys, no,
0: nobody expected anything of this movie. And it, it's and nobody saw a, it. So it's, it was people a still huge
1: bomb. It was, it's seriously pop star mm. is phenomenally funny and really great soundtrack. Mm. And it's great. Yeah. So, if, it, if you if you are using it in the same sentence as pop star, then this movie is like shot up to my must see list. <laughs> yeah, I will it, definitely this, be seeing this. is film. It's
0: it's a must see comedy. I am
1: excited. It's,
0: it's sloppy. It's cheap in that sort of, but you know who cares? Wayne's World is sloppy and cheap. Dude, where's my yeah. car?
1: Is funny as hell. Yeah. It's also cheap <laughs> and stupid, hmm. so it's fine. Uh, tell me about hmm. After Midnight. Uh, After
0: Midnight, uh, this is a film that has uh, been making sort of festival circuits for a couple of years. Uh, It was previously known as uh, Something Else. else. I'm glad they changed the title.
1: Yeah, Something Else sounds like a bad rom-com from the early 2000s. Uh,
0: This is a romance, however. This is about, it's actually about a failed romance. This is about a a man who lives out in uh, kind of the sticks. He lives out in a very small town. Mm. He's been living in an inherited house that's kind of rotting. He's not very good at keeping up this house. So it's a little bit rotten, Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, he's met a young uh, uh, potential uh, Mm -hmm. wife. They're, they're adults. They're not young people, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he's, he has started seeing a a woman and she's moved into this house and we get to sort of see through flashbacks, how their relationship was really, really good, but it was a little awkward at first and how she was sort of helping him improve his life a little bit and how she eventually uh, left And when she left, a monster started attacking the house at night. Oh. And and we don't see the monster. Pretty clear metaphor for the guilt of being a shitty guy. Yeah. And now you're alone in this house and something comes to you at night and is just ripping you apart. Yeah. Guilt, baggage, uh, shame, yeah. And... At first, you think that this might be sort of his own doing. Maybe he's, he's the monster that he thinks he's fighting and he's doing damage to the house himself. But it becomes pretty clear that there's actually something doing damage. Like it's leaving evidence that other people can see okay. behind. Uh, and that's, a, that's at night and it's really kind of harrowing and scary. And he's sitting by you know, his door with a shotgun waiting for this thing. He's put a couch up against the door. During the day, it doesn't come. So there's actually a lot of scenes of him just sort of hanging out and talking about his relationship with his buddy at a bar or talking to a bartender. There's a long scene in a bar where it has nothing to do with monsters. He never brings it up. Yeah, That kind of scene lends this sort of film a lot of texture and a lot of character. And we actually let get to know these characters and who they are on a much deeper level when we just get to see them communicating. And I think that's really, really great.
1: I think that sounds interesting mm. because I feel like some movies forget how quickly we adapt to even terrible situations. Mm-hmm. So like, if the same thing happens to you every night, even if it's the worst thing ever on some level, it just becomes your day mm-hmm. and, and, you, uh, and you can do other stuff.
0: No, the the main character, he's also a hunter. So he's actually, you know, he, that, that's why he has like guns. He fe- feels he can, it's p- possible that he could actually catch this thing that's mm-hmm. outside of his house. So he goes in it's really scary for him, but he's also, he has a plan. Mm. And, uh, who should come back into his life but his the woman who left him. And it becomes of uh, now this relationship drama as to whether or not they can get together, why she left him, and the role the monster is going to now play in their, their potential rekindling, but maybe just sort of communicating out why they shouldn't be together. Right. Uh, all of the human stuff is great. And... It it feels like a kind of, almost it's like slight romantic indie drama. It almost has this, uh, it, it's just a few hairs away from being a mumblecore film. where okay. it's just people sort of hanging out and talking and talking about their relationships. There just happens to be this the, uh, really slickly filmed monster sequences.
1: Mm-hmm. There's uh, actually a term uh, for mumblecore horror movies. It's mumblegore.
0: Mumblegore. Mumble I've
1: actually, like Your Next is yeah. considered like a mumblegore.
0: Yeah, uh, and to give them credit, uh, Jeremy Gardner, who is also the screenwriter of the film, uh, and and the director, uh, plays the lead character, and yeah. Brea Grant plays uh, plays the woman who left him. Uh, I really want to tell you what happens at the end of this movie because the ending is sublime. Really. <laughs> Uh, it, it all it all come, culminates in a dinner party where all of the friends have come over, and it's at night, and uh, and everybody's together, and you can tell that they're all going to have it out. And I don't want to say what is said or what happens, but it is perfect.
1: Wow! It goes out
0: on this perfect ending. So that's, it's that's it's just a sort thing. of kind of light romantic monster drama for for its running time. It's really short. It's like eighty five minutes. And then they knew exactly how to put a button on it. And it doesn't feel like a punchline or a joke. Like it actually built to this ending really, really well. It feels like somebody came up with a really good ending for a short film and managed to sort of backward engineer a pretty good film from it. Wow. Uh, it's on shutter right now. It's, it's worth watching just for that ending.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, that's Hmm. damn. Okay. I actually, (laughs) damn. Okay, great. That's Hmm. awesome. Uh, well, uh, while we're on the subject of, uh, of a ghouls and goblins. Mm. Uh tell me about the remake of Blythe Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it
0: is. it is it's yeah, um, it's a remake. It, it's a re- it is a remake. Uh it was based on a uh, Noel Coward play or uh, screenplay. Yeah. Uh previously yeah.
1: filmed in the 40s with I Rex thought, Harrison. I think it was a David Lean film, the original *Blythe's*. No, Spirit. No, was it or? David Lean or was it uh, Paul Pressburger? you know what? i i haven't seen it actually oh seen actually it's it's Wild a delightful Spirit. and i and i yeah. you you made me doubt myself so i'm just gonna look at it up okay. real fast uh i, I think actually you might be right i think it's david mm-hmm. lean uh here we go yep david lean david Lane. and That's he, what he I and thought, he okay. uh, helped adapt uh the screenplay too yeah. uh the original uh play and movie and the movie the nineteen forty five film is hilarious um is about a seance that goes wrong and accidentally like Summons the ghost of uh, A recently remarried man's First dead wife Mm. And it's not like there's a ton of drama Here like he killed her or nothing She just does not approve Yeah. And and now he's just stuck with her And his new wife is really unhappy And he's really unhappy And his dead wife is really unhappy And they're really unhappy And that's kind of the play
0: uh, in the remake, uh, the main character is played by Dan Stevens, Ooh. which is why I wanted to see it, really. Yeah. <laughs> Just because Dan Stevens is so game. He's good for he's good in
1: everything. Even he, in the uh, movie's bad. He's great.
0: He plays a crime novelist who has run up against writer's block. Hey, it's another uh, it's connection to Florian Ulysses. Mm. Uh, he has writer's block. He can't, uh, and he's been hired by a film studio to write a screenplay. He can't do it. He goes to a seance one evening uh, hosted by Judy Dench. Judy Dench plays the the medium. And she's a fraud. She mm. floats, she uh, levitates, but we can see the ropes and the rope breaks. Uh, but Dan Stevens uh, is inspired. He wants to do a crime novel about a medium. He invites her to the house to get a little bit uh, to his house, to get a line as to how she operates. It's an actual seance. And she, shun- she summons the spirit of his dead wife. He's been remarried to Isla Fisher. Okay. Uh, the dead wife is played by Leslie Mann. the ghost mm. of the dead wife. Very great. Mm. Very, very good cast. And over the course of the film, she just starts to uh, kind of nitpick his life choices. She doesn't like that he's redecorated the house. She, of course, doesn't like the new wife. Uh, and it's revealed that she was feeding him all of his ideas. All of his uh, crime novels were her ideas. Ah. And she was giving him all ideas, and he was taking all of the credit. And now, uh, But, of course, now that she's dead... He can be a little bit more open about that. He's like, well, why don't you just tell me what to write in the screenplay? I'll take all the credit. I can't give it to you. You're dead. Yeah. And she says, fine. She begrudgingly accepts this, knowing that she's going to cause a lot of mischief. What this film needs and doesn't have is a s- sense of gallows humor. mm There is a version of this I'm trying and I'm thinking of
1: something like death becomes her. Ah, There's there's just
0: a a lot of hate and animosity and wicked, wicked sort of death
1: jokes. And having seen the David Lean version, the the David Lean version totally feels like a precursor to death becomes her like 50 years earlier. Maybe not as dark, but
0: yeah, this has none of that. This is is just going through the motions. There are some grim moments where there's like some attempted murders and some actual death in the movie. But they're not played for wickedness. They're played as if they're the sort of light comedy. They play all of these kind of like jazz standards on the soundtrack. I think the filmmakers were a little bit too enamored of the setting and the costumes that they, th- they thought that was going to carry the film a little bit. And Dan Stevens, of course, overacting and being sort of really frazzled a lot of the time. This doesn't have a lick of energy. It just ah. lays there flat.
1: And it's a, really
0: a pity because you have Dan Stevens and you have yeah. Isla Fisher and you have Leslie yeah. Mann. These are good actors and they're very funny people. You have Judy. Dench, who is already really, really uh, game. Yeah. And it's a really fun premise. You know, crime writer conspires with dead wife to commit plagiarism. Great. I'm there for you. There, yeah, just they're, the laughs don't come. You're waiting for something really kind of manic to start happening, and somebody gets their drink drugged, and somebody else falls off of a thing, and somebody else almost has something fall on their head, and knives start flying through the air. She's substantial. She's a real ghost. Yeah, like she actually can float things that other people see. And yeah, you're you're. There's just no snap. There's nothing going on here. Just everything starts to lay flat. And and after a while When when the shocking things Start to happen They don't even start to feel Like they're adding
1: up They're just sort of accumulating I feel like we're losing The like I know some people can do it Because people are still funny But I feel hmm. like we're losing This kind of like Chamber room comedy hmm. Like I can't Im- Here's an exercise And it's a movie that I feel Some people might be familiar With the play Some people might be familiar With the movie But it's not like A household name hmm. I grew up watching over and over again on TV, uh, the movie "Noises Off." Oh, "Noises
0: Off" is amazing. Very,
1: very Peter Bogdanovich film. Peter Bogdanovich, very, very funny film. One of Peter Bogdanovich's funnier films, Um, and it stars Michael Caine. And uh, Christopher Reeve, Uh, uh, who's actually really great in it, I think. Um, Carol Burnett is in it. John Ritter is in it. Yeah, just a really wonderful ensemble cast. And the whole thing is, it's the dress rehearsal for a farcical play, and the dress rehearsal is just as farcical as the play. And we never actually see the play. Um, And you watch this movie, and everything about it is so impeccably sharp. Mm. just all the dialogue like comes it's it's it's, is, it's right is, next to clue in terms yeah. of like it's
0: it's witty just, banter the
1: timing the way that jokes build and propel each other and knock into each other in unexpected ways but you're playing totally fair because we've seen everything else that leads up to this joke it's just it's fine-tuned and i yeah. feel like we're losing this ability to see fine-tuned comedy yeah i, I feel like
0: the kind of comedic timing that would be required to make a film like this is something that doesn't exist in
1: comedies anymore. Yeah, very few people are, mm. are operating on that level, or yeah, at least, or even, least interested in that style.
0: Even *Barb and Star* has sort of a shabby quality yeah. to it. It's a funny scripted comedy, and, but it, a lot of that is like big character work. Mm-hmm. It's not like necessarily the jokes building on one another.
1: Like the, the closest thing I can think of, and it's not even really a comedy, although it's mm. you know mystery comedy, I suppose, is *Knives Out*. Yeah, just came real, real close to yeah, to something. It just like wasn't that. a broad comedy, but mm-hmm. a, just a couple of steps in either direction, mm-hmm. and it would have been there because it's very particular and it's very precise. Yeah, and precise comedies, I miss them. Mm-hmm. I think even the best comedies we've had mostly feel like feel kind of shabby or feel like discovered on the day, or there are elements of them that are just real loose and like I kind of miss knowing that every single piece of this has been like crafted like a Ferrari. yeah that, You know, like every someone knew how to make this thing fucking work.
0: I think that's why people liked Palm Springs. Yeah. Uh, Palm Springs is 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 a comedy like that. I think it's really well put together. Everything fits together really really well. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh this is a Noel Coward
1: play. Yeah.
0: Noel Coward, you know, one of the great masters of wit. And you sucked all the energy out of Noel Coward. That that that's a feat unto itself. Yeah you made
1: Noel Coward seem kind of dull. It's like watching bad Shakespeare. Like, how yeah. do you make bad Shakespeare?
0: Like <laughs> Shakespeare it, 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 fascinating. It can, it can be done. Of there's, course it can be done. There's plenty but like, of bad Shakespeare out yeah, there. Yeah,
1: but my point is this. Shakespeare gave you everything you need. It's, it's all right there. Just assemble it. Not all Shakespeare is good Shakespeare. There's some... i would say that the verse may be great, but there's some bad stories that he told. Mm. They're not dull. Definitely not. <laughs> it happens.
0: There's always oh, some, wow. some wonderful bit of like language or wit or poetry
1: that you mm-hmm. can always dig into. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up mm-hmm. We're, there our new releases, and then we'll get into our streaming club afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a film I've heard a lot about, and I I've definitely need to actually see this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what you think of it, but I've heard mm-hmm. really good things. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah
0: is is a great film. Wow. Uh, this is, uh, my wife actually watched this back to back completely incidentally with, uh, trial of the Chicago seven, uh, this takes place at the same summer of trial of the Chicago seven in Chicago. Weird. So yeah, weird, weird double feature. Uh, but this is about, this is the true story of Fred Hampton, who was chairman of the black Panther party, uh, back in, uh, Chicago in the late 1960s. And it's also about, um, William O'Neill, who was, uh. Hired by the feds to infiltrate and be, be an informant on the uh-huh. Black Panther Party. Okay. Uh, Judas. Hmm. Who's Blackman. playing who? Uh, William O'Neill is played by Lakeith Stanfield. Okay. My man, Lakeith Stanfield. Good boy. Howdy do I love Lakeith Stanfield. Great actor. I will watch anything with Lakeith Stanfield moving forward. I love him. And uh, Fred Hampton is played by Daniel Kaluuya. Who
1: Who's is also great. Who
0: is also great. Yeah far better than trial of the Chicago seven. This has a much better sense of place and propulsion and importance. We get to know what the black Panther party was doing beyond the racist propaganda that the FBI was trying to hang on them. And we actually see the, the, uh, the machine at work. There's, uh, the fed that, uh, that William O'Neill is reporting to is played by Jesse Plemons. And he has scenes with, uh, J Edgar Hoover, Jader Hoover's played by Martin Sheen in makeup, and he's having a wonderful time. Uh, but all, we get to see from the, the the top of the FBI how there was all of this racist propaganda about trying to actively vilify and change the story of what the Black Panther Party was. All, all the way over to what the Black Panther Party was actually doing, which was actually community outreach.
1: Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. no, I actually, yeah.
0: Yeah, and Fred Hampton it was actually an incredibly influential figure in the Black Panther Party because he was going to all of the local chapters and community groups in Chicago and saying, we are all being treated unfairly and we all need to rise up. And there's actually a really notable scene where he goes into a white supremacist meeting with a big Confederate flag on the wall and says, you guys are also being effed by all of this. And he talks them into joining the Black Panther Party. That's amazing. Uh, and and he was also, of course, uh, wrongly convicted, you know, on all these trumped-up charges and thrown into prison, uh, Fred Hampton was, and, uh, you know, what was going on the years he was in prison and how his leadership was actually keeping all of this stuff together and his messaging, what he, he was needed to keep all of the messaging on point. Uh, the attacks that the Black Panther was uh, suffering at the hands of not just corrupt cops, but also just other uh, people in the community who were buying the propaganda, and how all of this started to weigh on the soul of of Lakeith Stanfield, and how he was kind, how he sort of came to understand that he was betraying a lot of these big things, and how what a complicated network of betrayal and informants and everything that was going on in the street at the time. This is like. Scorsese-level storytelling Damn. in terms of its complexity and all of its character and everything that's going on in this. Damn. It it doesn't have this kind of snap as Scorsese, who's a really energetic filmmaker. It's actually a lot more laconic, but I think that makes it a lot more thoughtful and lets us appreciate these people and their importance in the story much, much better. Uh, yeah, Daniel Kaluuya, great. He, I have not seen a bad performance from him yet. No, and, and Lakeith Stanfield is, he's been in some shitty movies. He was in that... Um, uh, Girl in the Spider's Web, which I think is a really bad film. Yeah, but it
1: wasn't his film. I liked it more than you did, yeah. but it's still, he was fine in it doing yeah. what he was doing. Yeah.
0: But uh, yeah, this, this, is, this is a really, really great film. Uh, it's only the second film by the director. The director's name is Shaka King. Uh, this is produced by Ryan Kugler and it tells a really important story in a really important way. And it also lets us get to know Fred Hampton. Uh, if, you're, if you're unfamiliar with Fred Hampton, uh, Fred Hampton is a very important historical figure, and this is his movie. Uh, and I like that it is sort of told in this departed sort of way, where it's told from the perspective of the historical figure, but also the informant who would, also, would eventually kind of be his downfall. Yeah. Look up Fred Hampton, look up his story, watch this movie. It is all quite exhilarating. I have nothing to add to that. That just sounds really fucking it's good. It's just a really really fucking good movie. All
1: right. Well, let's, uh, yeah. let's uh, go over the films that we reviewed that were new mm-hmm. releases on the critically acclaimed scale. Once again, if you're new or been a while or just need a refresher, yeah. we review films on a scale of C- to C+. Mm-hmm. Most films are average you've been to school a c is average <laughs> c plus is above average and mm-hmm. c plus is literally everything above average from we just genuinely recommend it to the best movie ever made mm-hmm. and c minus that's technically below average so that's everything from we just don't particularly recommend it to the worst movie ever made mm-hmm. uh when on a scale of c minus to c plus where does judas mm-hmm. and the black messiah go this, this
0: is a c plus
1: and i think it might stay
0: with me so um wow. yeah keep c- keep c- this is one I'm going to be mentioning a lot throughout the year, and this is one one you should probably go out and see. What about *Blithe Spirit*? *Blithe* well, C a C minus. This this
1: is just a, a failure across the board. Oh, yeah. uh, what about uh, *After Midnight*?
0: Uh, *After Midnight* uh, a high C. It, oh. It's it's not sublime. I just I really really love the ending more than anything. It just has and ends on the perfect note.
1: Oh, fair enough. Uh, *Barb* and *Star* go to *Vista Del Mar*. That's a C plus, It just. Like I said, consistently hilarious. The Mauritanian.
0: Mauritanian. It's not horrible, but I am going to give it a C minus. Like it's a completely capable movie.
1: But yeah, it's it's
0: phoniness starts to to weigh when the more you think it's it's,
1: it's well made, but it's not doing its job. Yeah, 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 fair enough. Like it, it, it its existence well,
0: is is kind of a kind of a sticking. It, point.
1: it fits my role of the uh, my mm-hmm. idea of the uh, three star one star movie, which is <laughs> it's well made, but the story isn't good. So mm-hmm. you're just kind of polishing. Yeah, like and the, not the very performances
0: good. are all uniformly great. It yeah. has good good dramatic impact in that Hollywood sort of way, but
1: underneath the, it's the more hollow, the more I'm yeah. thinking
0: about it the the more hollow
1: it seems that's a shame uh and then uh the map of perfect of uh, tiny tiny perfect, per, tiny thing, perfect things thing, yeah. A C. see. okay it's, it's fine, and then finally, <laughs> I get to contribute uh flora and ulysses Whitney mm. scale of a c minus to c plus okay. <laughs> Is that the first raspberry we've ever given? No, I've
0: given a couple of raspberries. Okay. It's a C
1: minus. I I I kind of loathe this film. Yeah, it's a C minus for me too. I don't loathe it. I think mm. there's if you if you like pick away some of the detritus that Disney has just like thrown on this. Like, just throw some ads for Marvel stuff in there. I don't know. Kids like
0: Marvel stuff. If we mention it, it'll make the film good.
1: Yeah, right? Like, we're everything to children. So if, like, we only reference Mm. ourselves, then everyone will relate to it, right? Like, people? Uh,
0: Apart from Troma, I can think of no other company that is as self-congratulatory as Disney. um, That sort of sells its own product and tries to... uh, convince you like how great the product is by selling other products
1: okay remind it's the me the saving mr banks principle yeah fair enough there i can think of a few other mm-hmm. examples but that's that's fine remember, um, or,
0: or remember mad about the mouse or uh, what was that rapid
1: mickey mouse record from the early 90s nah, I'm, I'm not going to be talking mm-hmm. about that uh but florin ulysses i'm also giving it a c minus i don't hate it as much as whitney mm-hmm. does because again i think you pull apart some of that refuse of marketing Mm. and there's actually like a little nugget of a story here that i was able to latch on to sometimes mostly with the parent characters almost all the stuff with the squirrel at best it's harmless at worst it's actually quite harmful and actually just like all it is is this weird piece of corporate propaganda but it's tied around a story that could have been cute and is in fits and starts kind of cute no, 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 that's that's the far as I'm willing to go. It's still a C minus. It's this, still a C
0: minus. This is like digging through a wad of cotton candy the size of a car, and in <laughs> the middle you find this little robot that steals your wallet. That sounds about right.
1: All right, it's time to move on. Every week here at Critically Acclaimed, or it's been two weeks, but cut mm-hmm. us some slack. Every week here at Critically Acclaimed, we like to focus on because we're looking at so many new releases and they're all on home video in one way or another. Um But there's more than new releases on our streaming Mm -hmm. services. Our streaming services are full of older films. And we want to encourage not just other people, but also ourselves to take this opportunity when we're not going out to the theater to catch up on some older movies. Mm -hmm. And so every week, Whitney and I each pick two movies. We put them on a poll from a particular streaming service in particular category, genre, filmmaker, decade, whatever. And we invite our patrons over at patreon.com. Slash critically acclaimed network uh, To vote and decide for us Which movie we're going to watch this week And uh, this week we were looking at International films on HBO Max And the winner Was the Academy Award winner For best international film in 1990 Cinema Paradiso Mm -hmm. Which is a film I have seen in so many Montages about why movies are great (laughs) That I kind of thought I had seen it But it turns out, no, I had not.
0: It's a movie about movie presentation. It takes place largely in a theater, the Cinema Paradiso. And in those montages, they love to have shots of people sitting in movie theaters just Mm. to show the the, the wonderful experience of what it's like to sit in a movie theater. And there are a lot of movies that have shots of people in movie theaters. Uh, but not so many that they can't get away with not showing scenes from like Donnie Darko, yeah, like these horror movies that take place in movie theaters. But Cinema Paradiso is about the sublime bliss of going to movies,
1: yeah, and specifically going to them. Like mm-hmm. it, this is an interesting movie because I, I, you had never seen this and I had never seen this, yeah. So this is this one covers both bases. Uh, this is a film from Giuseppe Tornatore. It's a, an Italian film. Uh, about a young boy who befriends an older projectionist who works um, at the local uh, uh, film theater cinema, yeah. at the local cinema in a very small Italian town. Um, I think it's in Sicily, but uh, and uh, yeah, this is like their big, the big entertainment source for the whole town. If people go to these movies, little kids, big kids, adults, the elderly, people go on dates. People go just to get away from their wives. Like people are just flocking to this theater every single day Mm. just to see movies. And, and the project, and this is in like the, the, Third About the 30s? Uh, the, well, I think we start off in the late 30s Because one of the first scenes they're showing Stagecoach And that was 1939 okay. So the earliest it could be is probably mm-hmm. Early 40s probably Because that probably wouldn't have found its way to Italy For a little bit okay. So we're looking at the at least the early it's, 40s It's notable that it's still when nitrate film was a thing Yeah, that's an important mm-hmm. film It's uh, an important plot point And if you recall from Inglorious Bastards Or if you just know about film history uh, One of the earliest film stocks was called Silver Nitrate it was gorgeous. It actually looked like silver on the screen. Hmm. That's why they call it the silver screen. It was also so unbelievably flammable. <laughs> if you set it on fire and dropped it in water, it the would, water would, would not douse <laughs> it. It would,
0: It burned so fast, it would still burn underwater. Yeah, it's s- stupidly <laughs> and dangerous. Uh, and a, a few... Uh, a few details that they get right. Uh, film reels used to be shut in these big uh, containers. Now, upright film projectors, as I use them, I'm a projectionist, they're not covered anymore. They're just sort of exposed. You, see, well, you watch the film turn mm-hmm. because films moved on to uh, an acetate stock, which was not flammable, mm-hmm. and eventually a polyester stock, which was thinner and stronger. And uh, if, if you get a newer print, that's going to be on poly. Um but back when it was nitrate, they had to shut it because if that hot lamp heated up the film or something got caught in the gate and it caught on fire, they needed a way to contain the fire. Yeah. So that, uh, there was, there that will a, be important later. There's a, a great detail in Inglorious Bastards. There's scenes in a, in a projection booth where you see a pair of scissors hanging on the, the projector. Mm. Why would a projectionist need a big pair of scissors? So you can cut the flaming film Right in the middle mm-hmm. and you
1: can contain At least one reel And they talk about that mm-hmm. in Cinema Paradiso mm-hmm. So it's a story of a young boy uh, Whose father ha- was uh, was in a war He has not come back His mother is still convinced his father might be out there somewhere But he has formed uh, A paternal attachment hmm. To this uh, Projectionist who is you know, Lives a solitary life He lives in a, in a film booth He doesn't have a lot of uh, people he connects to And eventually he becomes the projectionist's apprentice and we follow him in his young life as he gets older, becomes the projectionist for the town, falls in love, and then eventually moves away and starts putting this chapter of his life Mm. behind him. um, Watching this movie, uh, this movie was made largely because it felt like film was kind of dying, which seems ludicrous to think of that being the case in the late '80s, when it's actually the case now, um, <laughs> but uh, you know there are people who talk about when the in the scenes in the film that take place like closer to the present day, about how like yeah, movie theaters just people aren't flocking to them the way that they used to. They're watching home video. They're doing mm-hmm. all kinds of other. There are all kinds of forms of entertainment now. Yeah, it's not the only place in town to get well, do escape.
0: Well, in, in the late '80s, there was a big. Uh, Shuttering of a lot of theaters a lot of theaters yeah. started to su- uh, suffer because of home video yeah. the institution remained uh, and a lot of it seems almost churlish now especially you know post pandemic we're still in the middle of the pandemic but uh yeah. because so many theaters have suffered because of the pandemic and we're sort of looking at a future where there's probably going to be a lot less theaters
1: yeah uh, even even the yeah, best case scenario we're probably going to see a lot list, less yeah, a lot of
0: theaters on, yeah. are just going to be gone moving forward yeah uh, yeah, it, it's, it seems like almost like a small potatoes compared to the present. Yeah. It's there's kind of, was a big push in 2011 yeah. to turn thing, turn theaters uh, digital. A lot of film purists were up in arms back in 2011 when that happened, mm-hmm. but it, it's going to happen. So you just let it happen. The format doesn't matter. Just the movie does. Yep. Uh, and yeah, all the theaters have been, just been dealt blow after blow after blow. And it seemed really extreme. Back in
1: the 1980s. That this
0: was going to be the death knell for cinema.
1: And it just feels like ending Cinema Paradiso Hmm. when it ends, Hmm. as though that was the death of cinema, is maybe jumping the gun a little bit in hindsight. (laughs) So that part's kind of funny. But regardless, and and I have some issues with this movie and I'll talk about them. But, you know, when the pandemic struck and I haven't seen a movie in a theater since jesus christ almost exactly a year ago like yeah. it would give me like 10 more days and it will be exactly a year ago um and i lived in a movie theater even before i wasn't a film critic mm. I, I was um back in college i would go to see at least three or four movies a week yeah like that was just where that's just what i loved in yeah. westwood california where i went to uh, mm. i went to ucla it's in westwood um had Tons of independent theaters And a couple of big multiplexes And also UCLA A screening room with really incredible stuff A lot of it was free Um, I love The theatrical experience I've lived the theatrical experience I have treated the theatrical experience As though it was my form of church And yet The pandemic struck And that didn't seem Very important at the moment and now we're, we're, you know, the concern is safety, keeping people alive. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's any shortage of entertainment or even movies. But uh, damn if Giuseppe Tonatori's like just absolute fawning, childlike, almost annoying nostalgia. <laughs> For the theatrical experience, damn if it didn't get me a few times and make me really yeah. miss theaters right now.
0: Um, I've worked as a projectionist uh, for a couple of years now, and you, you're you're telling me there's an Italian movie about an aging projectionist and the death of cinema and how his film is aging
1: and how he's like pre like infusing yeah. mm. a love of cinema and a young uh, boy yeah. like the yeah, last yeah. bastion mm. of hope for the for the. Mm. Or the medium. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah it's going to fucking get me. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I was watching this and I'm just like, this is
1: made for Whitney. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like
0: you made a movie about like me if I were a 60 year old in Italy in 1939 and yeah. uh, and all of the tragedies that go there. And there's a, a big uh, w- we've mentioned the nitrate film. There's a scene where he's found a way this projectionist to uh, because you were projecting through a pane of glass, the uh, film will be bounced onto the wall behind you as well. Yeah, and he and although the you know the optics don't quite work this way, he's found a way to angle the glass so he can watch the movie on on a blank spot of the wall. Yeah, then he's also found a way to angle it against several panes of glass so it actually projects really powerfully out onto a building outside opposite the theater.
1: It's a magical idea. There's no way he's got enough light going through that after no, bouncing yeah. that many times for yeah. that to be legible. That
0: that paltry little bulb is not going to show two movies at once. Yeah, it's a sweet idea. Yeah, but it's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, but that leads to a, a tragedy because he's watching the film outside. He's not. He's not by the projector. Yeah. And because it's nitrate film, it catches on fire and it damages the theater and also his eyes. It yeah. burns his eyes and he's blind.
1: Yeah. And now uh, it's up to the kid yeah. who has been paying very close attention uh, to become the town's only film projection. And, and he's a kid. He's like nine. Yeah. He's a little kid. <laughs> Fortunately, he's like he's smart and precocious. But, like, there's this general sense of, like, is he still going to go to school? And the kid's like, well, maybe I won't. And, like, um, uh, Alfredo, the uh, projectionist, is, um, it's Alfredo, right? Um, yeah, That's I think it. so. Yeah. He's, and he's just like, no, you should go to fucking school. Hmm. Because it's, you, you should. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because so much of this movie is steeped in absolute, unabashed, unapologetic Used the word earlier in the podcast, mm. treacly nostalgia <laughs> for cinema. That it's odd to me that towards the end of the film, as our protagonist Salvador is uh, growing up, mm. and he's uh, you know got to go into military service, and um, you know he's starting to he's starting to grow out of his role as the town's projectionist.
0: A big portion of the movie is just his journey as a projectionist and then another theater opens in a nearby town. He has to ride his bike really fast back and
1: forth so he can run both projectors and that sort of thing. Um, Alfredo gets anti-nostalgic, which is interesting. And it's, aside from the fact that he's just getting older, it's not entirely justified within the text. And he's just again they don't really say like why all of a sudden is he telling this kid I I get it get out of town I didn't make something of my life whatever but he infuses this kid with almost a complex about not returning to his hometown he says you Hmm. cannot return here you have to leave you cannot live. A, a mundane life in this small town In the past you have to go do amazing Things yeah and okay fine But does he have to promise never to return We find out early in the movie he hasn't Been home to visit his mother in 30 Years <laughs> you know, 30 we're, years we're, he hasn't seen his mom yeah, we, we we live started, that Far away you
0: know, there's there's an intro In the present where we, yeah. we meet the main Character when he's like in, in his
1: 50s Yeah looks nothing like the kid uh, No <laughs> like that, 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 that doesn't matter I'm fine I just, I'm fine it's, that's an incidental Observation yeah. but it's fine um, so for me, I feel like there there's this really great button on the film, this last little bit just before the credits. Mm-hmm. that's just enchanting <laughs> that's just absolute, weepy, enchanting sweetness, but there's also this chunk at the end where he goes home and he realizes that, oh, everyone got old and stuff got different, yeah, where I feel like. That doesn't mean as much as the movie thinks it does. And it ultimately ends up making this movie, which was really sentimental and sweet, perhaps to a fault. (laughs) Like, I just, part of me started rolling my eyes after a while. Like, it's sweet, and I'm the target demo for this because I love movies and the theatrical experience. But after a while, I'm like, dude, you're really overselling every single thing. And I, I kind of find it charming, but I'm also not deeply in love with this movie because you're overdoing everything. <laughs> well, But then at I, I the end, he comes back in uh, and the whole to... thing is like, oh, but it really, you know, but it's mm-hmm. just a town. And I'm like, yeah, I just don't think it's that fucking deep. I don't really think you've earned this, like, long period where he comes back to town and it's, like, kind of mundane. And it's like, ah, it makes you think. Like, not much. No, actually. It's... Fine. I just didn't ultimately get as much out of it it's, as you want. It's just a,
0: about how film informed every aspect of this boy's life. Mm-hmm. I find it a little odd in these sort of movies that really fetishize the cinema experience that the film itself is sort of incidental. Hmm. It doesn't have to be good or bad, but it's always the most important film in the world if it's something you remember. Yeah. Uh One Direction.
1: Yeah. Wrote a song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: wrote a song called The Best Song Ever.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: that's the title of the song. Yeah. And uh, this, within the lyrics of the song, it's about how the, the narrator of the song meets a, a young woman... A young man meets a young woman, and they spend all, all night at the club, just dancing all night to the best song ever. He doesn't remember the
1: song. It's, it's but that's not
0: That's yeah. not. That doesn't matter. What matters was the experience they had. And that's actually quite a good song. It's, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a catchy, say catchy
1: song. The lyrics are kind of clever. It's catchy, and or... it has
0: a, It's based on a really fun concept: being young and being in love. Yeah. And Attaching yourself to the music to the point where the music itself isn't what's important. It's if, the experience. You're if having.
1: you're unfamiliar with it or if you never really yeah. thought about it, uh, think of the uh, Tenacious D song Tribute, if that meant something. <laughs> and I love that song and mm. it's a fun song, but mm. it's joke song. Yeah. And when the One Direction song is actually like a good love song.
0: Mm. So I I do love the cinema experience, but I also you know as a critic am a little bit discerning. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would prefer it to be a good. I don't want to go to the go to the movies every night and just see a bunch of crap all the time.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: but I do like that they do throw in a few details about the cinema Paradiso in particular that makes going to see movies there important.
1: Yes, I'll give it. Uh, ra- very specific. Yeah. yeah.
0: The, the design of the theater, the way the seats squeak, the way there's mm-hmm. this one guy who always falls asleep in in the back row.
1: There's one guy who always spits off the balcony and one mm-hmm. day he gets his comeuppance. Yeah. Uh, and
0: uh, and most notably, this is an incredibly Catholic town. Yeah. And they're not allowed to show movies unless they've been approved by the local priest. Mm-hmm. And whenever there's going to be a kiss, he always shouts up to the projection booth, cut that scene out. And the yeah. projectionist can just... Clip out those. Yeah, he he
1: previews every single movie and Mm -hmm. he's got a bell. And every time he sees something he wants to cut, Mm -hmm. he rings the bell. And Alfredo mm. like takes a piece of paper and like puts it in the the wind of yeah. the thing, so he remembers about where it was. And he's just like, "Someone kissed there? Got to cut out all those kisses." And there are people who've been living in this town for decades, who've been watching movies every week for decades, who have mm. never seen anyone kiss in a movie.
0: So when uh, when the time cut when the times change enough and a kiss is finally permitted on screen, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's like, people are, are practically having an orgy in the audience at that point. Oh, my God, lips touched. I don't believe it.
1: Yeah. It was, uh, um, and
0: and that's significant because there is a coda at the end that had me
1: bawling and bawling and bawling. Th- they earn that bit. There's a moment at yeah. the end that they really, really earn. Well, I think that as, works great.
0: And as somebody who inspects film and sees the way it's put together and has come upon these constructed reels of dance scenes or more often than not, it's like sex scenes and nudity, stag reels, bit, yeah. like stag reels and stuff. But uh, the way film can accumulate and be reconstructed in a booth yeah. uh, is this kind of magical experience. The projectionist has final cut on every movie. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't matter how much studio control you have, directors. I get final cut on your film, dare yeah. die. Now, I'm going to run it as best I can. I'm
1: not. I'm not well, a dick. But I, uh... I would love to see you just once, like take a fucking stand. Like, what's a movie with like an ending you hate? Like if you oh, cut, like, imagine if you imagine if you were screening *Nymphomaniac* <laughs> you and go. you just L- cut that last little like thirty second bit that makes wow. the whole movie kind of pointless and stupid. Yeah. Like you just cut that out. Just and cut like, that last thirty g- seconds. That's just cut, your choice. Cut it right
0: when it's optimistic and you've actually gone on a good journey and yeah. everybody's human again. And there's and a and it's point. Yeah. 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 And then, then we just cut, out, cut, cut that, that little, little cynical thirty One last seconds. little
1: punchline just gone. Just cut that out. Sorry,
0: just got lost in the projector.
1: Sorry, I made your movie good. No or uh,
0: something. Uh, I I I work at the New Beverly, and I, I project Quentin Tarantino's. He owns that theater, so I project his movies a lot. Yeah. And it, it's been awfully tempting to recut Pulp Fiction chronologically, <laughs> <laughs> just to be a dick about it. That would
1: be really funny.
0: No, I'd I'd be like
1: fired twice oh, of for that. You <laughs> would, but I would also love to see it. Well, wouldn't I? <laughs> it would be like that. I would uh, never. I, I would TV never, I would never do Father, it. just... where they actually put it in chronological order, which oh, yeah, 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 I've actually right never on. seen. I mean, yeah, I've never seen the chronological order. It's, it's the fir-
0: the first two in chronological order. Even. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. Mm. Didn't they like find that like flashback structure in like the editing room in Godfather Two? I read that once. Oh, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah don't, don't, don't my don't yeah. know
0: my Godfather Two trivia. That's yeah, funny.
1: Anyway, um, but yeah, in Paradiso, I, I I get why people love this. I get why the Academy loved it because it's a fucking love letter to yeah, Hollywood. It's, it's, it's but... a big yeah pat on pat, yeah pat yourself on the back. It's, kind of and thing. and it's. It's sweet. I'm hmm. not going to pretend it's not sweet. It's very, very sweet. Ennio Morricone's hmm. score is actually a little, a little, a uh, little saccharine for Morricone, but it's <laughs> great and it's really just. Well, Morricone did do a lot of saccharine scores. True, but that's I mean, typically not the stuff that I remember.
0: movies. It's so typically
1: yeah. not the stuff I remember, hmm. but it's still very good. Um, I think I was expecting. Maybe a movie that hit me a little harder. And this is a movie that's just packaged nostalgia. And I think it's interesting when we think about how... It feels sometimes today, like when we talk about nostalgia today, we talk about how we're all kind of living in this constant fog of nostalgia. Where everything that we grew up with, or that our parents grew up with in some cases... is active and present in our everyday lives. Yeah, and and that every single movie, TV show, action figure, video game, Twitter thread anything that we're being sold is hovering around some sort of personal connection. We had with something in our collective past, or if you're young, you're present and one day you're going to look back on it. and It's going to be weird. Mm. I think we forget sometimes that we did not invent nostalgia and that this, that this movie was about that kind of nostalgia. Mm. Now it's over 30 years ago. Um, is a little illuminating and it's good to remember that the movie is also kind of anti nostalgia towards the end is interesting, but it comes across as completely hypocritical because the rest of the movie is entirely nostalgic and that's what they want you to get from the film. So that part comes across again, that whole bit where Salvador comes home at the end struck me as a little false. But, um... I think it's fine for a movie to play big, occasionally. I don't mind and playing big. Young. I find... I don't... Uh, what I mind is it playing a little false. Whenever it's playing big... Like, there's a scene in this movie... That I love the design of the theater, because when the, when the camera is, like, projecting this big beam of light, hmm. and at the end of the... One end of the beam of light is a projector, and at the other end of a beam of light is the picture. Hmm. And in the middle, it's just, like, this fucking laser. <laughs> and... There's this really cool thing Where in this movie house The beam goes Like the hole from the projection booth To the screen Comes through the mouth of a lion Yeah Yeah. What what a great fucking image (laughs) And there's one little bit There's almost none of this There's almost no fantastical realism Or fancifulness to this But there's one little bit Where Salvatore is a little kid And he's looking at the lion And like the lion is like Roaring out the movie Mm. That's big That's totally big But it's genuine And that's the thing That Mm. feels genuine That is a child's fantasy of what is happening That is a child's experience of what is happening And I buy it It doesn't mean I have to buy every single thing the movie does And I don't think every single thing comes across With that level of genuine affection I think when it tries to be cynical It comes across as less genuine And I think when it is trying to be Optimistic And hopeful And halcyon then it feels genuine even though it's a little over the top and sometimes I roll my eyes. A bit of a mixed bag for me, but I'm really, really glad mm. I saw this. And yeah, as a love letter to the theatrical experience, this is a really good mm. watch right now.
0: Yeah, the, the, this was one that I, I, I could feel it manipulating me. Yeah. Like I, I knew what it was doing. It was being really schmaltzy.
1: Yeah, never being that really,
0: re, it. Re, yeah, really, really... Uh, Openly nostalgic and kind of melancholic and really artificial in a lot of ways, but it worked so well I didn't care. And if if something's going to be melodramatic and really manipulative, make me not care that you're doing it. Yeah. You know, do it do it so well that I'm going to roll with you no matter what. And I think Cinema Paradiso does.
1: That's fair. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, that is it for critically acclaimed this week. Thank everybody for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with reviews of the new releases, Tom and Jerry. The movie, again... Tom and Jerry and Cherry
0: open on the same day, I think. Oh, I thought Cherry was already on. Well, it's going to be on Apple Plus.
1: Cool. Well, we got got some rhyming movies. And uh, also, uh, as a perfect double feature with Tom and Jerry, we're going to be talking about the reboot of the Wrong Turn franchise. (laughs) That's right. They remade it. They're they're very similar (laughs) in that they're both horrifically violent. Um... (laughs) And uh, and also uh, we'll be back with the critically acclaimed streaming club, uh, this month, mu- uh, this month, this week. Uh, all of the options were romance movies on Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the poll is still going as of this recording, uh, over at Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Every single one of our patrons, even at one dollar a month, get to vote for future episodes of our podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, the winner. Probably going to win But anything can happen Is John Carpenter's Starman Yeah Which I haven't I'm slightly cheated here I haven't seen that movie Since I was a kid So I'm looking forward To Mm -hmm. getting to rewatch it As an adult And actually have vivid Memories of it Yes So if that's the If that's the winner That's the winner If not there's A bunch of other good movies Hopefully That are on there Uh, St. Elmo's Fire Is one of the nominees Some Kind of Wonderful Is one of the nominees And I cannot Oh and uh, uh, Funny Face. Funny face yes. the one with Audrey Hepburn Yeah that's that's on there as well So uh, everyone don't forget to vote It's not too late probably unless you're listening to this later In which case it is and I'm sorry <laughs> But a uh, very special Thank you to all of our patrons Patreon.com slash critically claimed network uh, Every single one of our patrons is Responsible for the show getting to you mm. uh, And I know this particular episode was late But regardless all of our shows here at the Critically Claim network even the free ones Would not exist without our patrons So a very special thank you to all of our patrons. If you want to and have the means uh, to join the Patreon, uh, at every single tier, you will unlock a lot of bonus content. Uh, We have a podcast dedicated to the 1960s Batman. We have podcasts dedicated to every single episode of Star Trek. We have podcasts dedicated to every film ever nominated to Best Picture. Uh, We have podcasts dedicated to films that should be on Disney+, Plus but are mysteriously not. We have commentary tracks. We just dropped a commentary track for uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo Plus Juliet, Mm. the Leonardo DiCaprio version from the 1990s, Um, and a hell of a lot more besides. So that's all available there. And if you can't afford that, don't forget, you can always leave us a review. That costs nothing except a few moments of your time. And it really, really helps people find our show. So wherever you mm. find it, if you can leave us a review, that would be really, really wonderful. Um, and, of course, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William DiBiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. We have an email address, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, You can email us, talk to us about anything we discussed in this episode or anything else you want to talk about or you're interested in our thoughts on or want us to uh, discuss about film history or whatever. Anything at all, really. We're pretty open books. Letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We may read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. And, of course, soap. (laughs) Etsy.com slash shop slash saltcatsoap or just go to Etsy and look for Soap, all one word. Uh, you will find uh, designer soaps made by M. Lapis de Silva, my incredible wife and partner. I actually have some designs that I'm working on right now that tie into the movie trivia Schmodown, <laughs> and I hope to debut those sometime in March. Uh, a lot of people asked last year, like, we're going to get some Schmodown soaps, and I'm like, I'm working on it, and so, March. Um, so uh, be sure to check that out. Also, SaltCat Soap has a Twitter, it's Salt Cat Soap. Uh, and uh, we may occasionally post some coupons over there, so you might want to follow along and uh, see not just uh, pictures of Luca and pictures of upcoming designs, but also possibly some coupons. So check that out. And um, that is that. I almost asked you to take us out of the Star Trek quote, because that's what we do on <laughs> our Star Trek podcast. <laughs> that's it, everybody. Thank you, everybody, once again. And never forget, everyone's a critic. I want to
0: go to the Midnight Show. I'm sorry, what?